electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. We are seeing a major sell-off to end the week. Good Friday morning and welcome to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Boza with Julia Borston and David Faber. Carl and John have the morning off. Today, red on the screen, new COVID variant sends stocks tumbling. Equities dropping across the board, continuing the shakiness that we have seen this week. Travel names, airlines, cruises, hotels, they are getting crushed this morning. But are there opportunities to buy the dip? Plus, the other side of that trade, vaccine makers and work-from-home stocks get a boost, Julia. And this new variant is where we will start. Meg Terrell has those details. Meg, what's the latest? Well, Julia, we are waiting to hear from the World Health Organization as a special committee meets to determine whether to give this a Greek letter variant name, which would mean it's a variant of interest or of concern. Uh, This after researchers in South Africa have raised uh, their level of concern about this variant as they've seen an increased spread in cases uh, in that country. Uh, Now, what's particularly concerning about this variant is that it has uh, more than 30 mutations on the spike protein, um, some of which are known and have been associated with increased transmissibility and the potential to evade the protections from vaccines or prior infection. Uh, They call it an unusual constellation of mutations. Uh, Still, some of these variants, uh, their mutations aren't uh, known yet, and so their effect really isn't understood. So whether that confers to more severe disease or less severe disease, uh, that's just not known at this point. Now, we've been checking in with the vaccine makers, uh, both Moderna and BioNTech and Pfizer Uh, tell us that they are already looking at this very closely and have told us they can update the vaccines very quickly if they need to. Um, Within two weeks, BioNTech says it expects lab data to tell us whether this is really an escape variant, one that can really evade the protections of the vaccines. Uh, Guys, what we've seen before with concerning variants like beta, for example, is that the vaccines can be less effective, but they still do provide some protection. There's also worry about the antibody drugs, um, particularly Regenerons and Eli lilies. Um, Some, like from Veer Biotechnology, are thought to potentially be able to hold up better here. That still will need more confirmation. Finally, the antiviral drugs that are going through the FDA process right now from Merck and Pfizer. Some news out on Merck's this morning, the FDA posting its briefing documents ahead of an advisory committee meeting next week, um, suggesting it looks like it's going to clear this drug and it just needs its advisor's input on how widely to clear it and for which groups. These antivirals are not thought to be affected by variants quite so much, but still Still, uh, we need more data on that as well. So, guys, it's really just early days right now. Um, there is concern, but we need more information. Guys. Yeah, uh, Meg, it's David. I mean, you bring up the oral antivirals. This does seem to indicate how important they conceivably will be when they get to market, which we still hope, or at least many do, that perhaps by the end of the year, Merck would uh, get that emergency approval. 
Yeah, with the advisory committee next week uh, on Tuesday, we expect them to vote on it, and it'll, we'll have to see how quickly the FDA will then act uh, after getting that recommendation to issue an emergency use authorization. We expect Pfizer is likely just a few weeks behind, giving the timing of getting that data. It was about a month later than uh, we got Merck's data, uh, so we should see them work their ways through. And then, of course, it's up to being able to identify COVID cases quickly and get these drugs to the right patients to allow them to really make a big difference. And Meg, obviously there's still so much that we don't know, but is there a sense that they're able to identify these new variations faster? And is there any positive takeaway from that? Yeah, absolutely. So the fact that the South African researchers flagged this so early, I mean, when you're really not seeing a giant spike in cases in South Africa right now, you're certainly seeing cases rise and that's concerning, but it's very early that they were able to identify this. And one of the reasons is because this variant shows up in PCR testing because of just sort of a quirk in how it shows up in the test. And so they've been able to track it very closely just through doing that PCR and then can do the whole genome sequencing to be able to confirm that. Um, but this is something that should be able to be tracked that way um, pretty closely. Meg, thanks. Uh, Meg Terrell. Uh, and what, of course, we've been talking about right here has led to a significant sell-off in the market this morning, despite, as Meg told us, of course, we know so little as yet about this uh, variant. Mike Santoli, it is though investors just hit the COVID trade button yeah. uh, when you see a day like today. Absolutely, David. It's really not a lot of nuance in the market. You don't have to necessarily comb and try to, you know, squint and see what the themes are. The themes are uh, those groups that were benefiting in recent weeks from this expectation that the global economy was reaccelerating, higher uh, bond yields and interest rates coming. Banks were, were strong going into this, as well as energy. Well, it's been uh, put right into reverse. And so I do think it makes sense. We, you know, the, the will to sell and to uh, perhaps get out of the way of a threat is always going to be stronger than the courage to step in the way of, uh, of that impulse on a very short-term basis. So we are seeing the market under kind of this steady beat of pressure as we go through the day so far. Of course, it's only been an hour and a half, uh, but there were some uh, S&P 500 areas that didn't really quite hold up to the initial dip buying impulse. That would be uh, about 30 or 40 uh, points up from where we are right now. Now, we'll say this takes us back in the broad market to where we were in very early November. Uh, so still up about 100 points from that early October low. So we're kind of working with uh, handing back winnings as opposed to uh, necessarily going into a deficit situation market wide. But clearly the pandemic winners, which have been so beaten down, uh, are now being rediscovered. I would be cautious, though, to say that somehow we've decided that this is the new mode uh, for the market because there's just basically everybody uh, flying without a lot of information here. Mm -hmm. And therefore, uh, we're just kind of, I think, reducing bets on both sides. Let's not bet too hard against the COVID beneficiaries and the cloud software stocks and the Pelotons and the Zooms. But uh, we don't really know if we're, we're really going to have a change in, in behavior and consumer behavior uh, resulting from all of this a very early detection of a new threat. Right. So some of those bigger moves could be more of a knee jerk reaction. Mike, what's going on yeah. with mega cap tech, though? They have been some of the biggest beneficiaries of that covid trade over the last 18 months or so. But they're selling off today as well, with the exception of Netflix. 
Yes, uh, Amazon also holding up relatively well, uh, it, you know, in the grand scheme of things. They're outperforming, I think, is like, you know, the least negative way to put it. So they remain uh, a relative source of strength when you do have bond yields coming down and people not being uh, all that excited about the near-term economic growth. So you see Amazon down a percent and a half, outperforming the rest of the market. Netflix up a little bit. I saw earlier Adobe was stronger. So some of the pure software names. So I don't really think that there's individual strands of storyline, you know, uh, being uh, being brought to bear on those stocks. It really is about we're taking two percent off the top of the overall market. Uh, and so they're getting caught up in the uh, in the index flows. It's to me much more those areas that were completely abandoned, like the the popular uh, shorts at one point, like Peloton and Zoom and some other more niche software makers or people had just sort of let them go. And today they're bouncing. You no, know, the ARC funds, I think, uh, were green. Uh, this morning. So that shows you those areas that have been out of favor uh, are all of a sudden rediscovered as people just reduce their bets on both sides of the trade. Yeah, Mike, you know, it is Black Friday. We haven't talked much about retail today. You mentioned Amazon, those shares down about one and a half percent. But what are you seeing more broadly in terms of the retail players? And what's the sense about how this latest new uh, new variation, new variant of the of the covid virus could impact those retail giants who have been so focused on all the supply chain constraint issues when it comes to those stocks recently. Yeah, they have, Julie. And I, I think it's almost happening too late to really change the trajectory of things for spending expectations right now. I did notice earlier the kind of hypermarket type stocks like Costco, uh, Walmart, Target holding up pretty well. Uh, so that showed you that basically going for heft and stability uh, in this environment just makes sense, even from an investment or a consumer perspective. In general, retail was incredibly hit or miss, right? We saw blowups in some of the specialty retail chains last week when it was kind of like if you couldn't capitalize on this very strong spending environment, people finally getting back out there like in Best Buy and Gap and Nordstrom, investors had no confidence you were going to be able to figure it out in the next few months. So it is kind of a winners keep on winning type of a, uh, an environment in retail right now. Right. Mike, thanks for putting this in context. Uh, we're going to stick with the sell-off. The Dow down about 900 points at the moment. And we're going to bring in two CNBC contributors, Peter Bulkvar, Chief Investment Officer of Bleakley Advisory Group, and Delano Sapporo, CEO of New Street Advisors. Good morning to you, gentlemen. Uh, Peter, let's start with you. Help us put today's sell-off into further context. We heard from Mike. This is a steep drop-off, yes, but it is a shortened trading day in a holiday week. Major averages, they still aren't far from record highs. Well, I think it proves that the, the scars of COVID are still there. And, and the problem this time around is that we have to wait two weeks, as Meg said, to really know the effectiveness of the current vaccines to this. I think if it's proven that they are highly effective, then in a way today is going to be forgotten and we'll be back to discussing what's the Fed going to do, what's the Fed going to do and where inflation is going to go. So, yes, a, a shortened trading day and having that sort of two weeks of a vacuum of information in response to this, uh, and, and a market that's up 25% doesn't leave you much cushion for some externalities like we're seeing. Right. So we don't know how concerning this variant may be, uh, Delano. But as Peter says, it's a reminder, perhaps, that COVID will be with us for a long time to come. So does that mean that stocks that, you know, like Zoom and Peloton that have seen major sell-offs over the last few weeks and months perhaps are oversold, that they may actually continue to do well if we're sort of living in this environment where new variants, we don't know how serious or not serious, are going to arise regardless? 
100%. And I think the biggest thing is there is looking for the businesses that are going to be performing well in that work flex environment. Because as you mentioned, we're going to see this theme and story play out over the course uh, for the next several years, uh, more than likely. So we have to understand once, this is still new information coming, especially for this new variant. So how does that affect the stocks plays that we have as far as the stay at home move? So I think those areas that are in the stock market are going to continue to see this kind of jump when we hear something of this nature. Uh, but it does also have to cost some investors. You have to understand the underlying businesses for them and make sure that they're well positioned to, to perform well in a work flex environment. Well, I guess those are the two different pieces here. So there's the question of what the future of work is. And then there's also the question of the health of the consumer. And Delano, just to follow up there, where do you see consumer spending? And then how do you see enterprise spending continuing in this new new landscape? I think consumer spending is still strong, um, and I think that was the biggest theme we saw with the consumer discretionary, you know, sectors performing incredibly well over the past couple of months. Outside of you know a little bit of obviously the pullback today, so consumers consumers are still strong. There's flush cash and there's willingness to spend. Now, as you've seen with this variant scare, um, that may be looking at a possible slowdown in growth, right? And we might possibly see areas that are shut down. And you've seen travel and leisure stocks pull back. So that theme is going to play out. But I think this possibly could have been where we're seeing an initial knee-jerk reaction from the market as we still try to understand how this variant is going to play out further for consumers. But the consumer, in my mind, is still very strong. And this variant is the only deterrent that we see um, in the near term. Peter, I want to get your reaction on this as well. Where do you see consumer spending? And do you think enterprise spending is going to be able to keep pace with where, where it's been in the past couple of quarters? Well, I think consumer spending is, is actually somewhat bifurcated because of the inflation story. You know, the higher end consumer is obviously much more immune to the inflation that we're seeing, while the lower income or middle income family that is seeing inflation running higher than wages, so a decline in real wages, they're seeing a more challenging environment. While savings rates are up because a lot of the, the government uh, transfer payments over the past year and a half, I think it's sort of a, a, a two-lane uh, retail spending story. In terms of, of enterprise spending, you know, it, it also two-way. On one hand, there's very limited visibility because of supply chain problems, lack of labor, and, and what that means for uh, visibility, which then inhibits uh, capital spending. But on the other hand, companies know they need to continue to invest in the business, particularly in software and, and other areas of tech, in order to become more efficient, in order to better absorb these uh, cost pressures. Uh, yeah, Peter, it's David. Man, some of these moves, Moderna shares are up 27 percent, but oil is down about 10, 11 percent. You know, Peter, uh, read your notes. I mean, I think you sort of take the Fed to task sometimes for being perhaps too dovish. Is there anything that could result from what this strain will mean that could change your sort of sense in terms of the threat from inflation and the Fed perhaps not moving fast enough? Well, I think this will be a reminder that, you know, the Fed is very quick to ease and they very much take their time when it comes to tightening. And I think that the overhang of COVID will just reinforce that while they still may want to tighten, they're not going to speed it up. And that while the market pulled forward the possibility of rate hikes into as early as May, I think we have to just take this one step at a time to see if they can even get through the taper without having to halt that for you know some reason like COVID. And Delano, we've made the point many times. We really know very little at this point uh, in terms yeah. of what the impact will be, if any significant impact from this latest variant. Is there anything, though, that you watch today that you see perhaps is on sale as an opportunity for you to sort of uh, do some buying? 
there's nothing that sticks out initially when you look at it, the market move right now. Because as you mentioned, we've been up 25% over the past almost year to date. And so this pullback is something where it might be a knee-jerk reaction on a shortened trading day. I think if you have your positions where you have your barbell set already, investors can wait and see what the dust settles into next week and look for opportunities that may have sold off more that could prove into a valuation that might be entertaining, especially when you look at some of those um, travel and leisure stocks that have sold off, obviously the bank stocks that have sold off um, in this position where we may see rising yields later on. So those are the things that I would look for in the next couple of days, but you want to let the dust settle a little bit to kind of make those moves, Peter. And Peter, same question to you. Is there opportunity in the selling here? What are you looking at to determine that in the next few days? Well, I, I think anything that further uh, inhibits the supply side from somewhat normalizing is just going to continue to extend out uh, the inflationary trend. So oil in particular, you know, I, I, I'd be buying energy stocks uh, on, on this pullback along with other. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Commodities, because I think what we've seen over the past 20 months that we're, we're thrown a lot with COVID, but somehow we're going to work through this. And hopefully the vaccines still provide a level of protection and that whatever things hit us in the short term, we're going to plow through. But this inflation story, I think, again, it's going to get extended and to buy inflation-related trades on this pullback. Peter and Delano, thanks so much for being with us on this uh, Good Friday morning where we're seeing the markets continue to sell off Dow down nearly 1,000 points at this point. And the worst performers on the NASDAQ 100, those will be on your screen in just a moment. Here they are. We will be all over the sell-off all day here on CNBC. Reminder that equity trading ends at 1 p.m. Eastern today. It is a holiday-shortened trading day, but we will have live coverage well into the afternoon here. Let's take a look at one name that's dropping today, shares of the Chinese ride-hailing company Didi. A new report saying the Chinese regulators asked Didi executives to delist the stock from the New York Stock Exchange. They're highlighting concerns around data security. Plans for delisting include either privatization or listing on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. That stock down 45 percent since it went public back in June, down another 6.6 percent this morning. Didi investors, they're also feeling the pain today. Take a look at SoftBank listed in Tokyo and Tencent, uh, both down over 5 percent. Uber's feeling that as well somewhat, uh, but part of the the uh, reopening in terms of maybe its delivery business. Uh, David, as I look at Chinese ADRs, however, today, they are just getting killed. Pinduoduo after some poor earnings down nearly 20 percent. But again, this idea that China has this zero tolerance policy towards the virus, that's hitting a lot of the Internet names here, including Alibaba down nearly 4 percent. Yeah, it's a lot of different cross currents that uh, anybody invested in Chinese stocks, whether they trade here or there, have had to deal with this year. 
course, also the implosion of a number of companies in the real estate industry, or at least the concern about that as well, Deirdre, has impacted things. But Didi, I mean, you can remember going back to that day after it went public, when we suddenly heard about all these concerns of the Chinese regulator, and many wondered, well, why didn't we hear about them, Deirdre, prior to this company going public? And did the underwriters even know at that point, perhaps, given that this may not be a public company much longer? Yeah, it unraveled so quickly. I remember talking about it on IPO day. Do you really know the risks of getting into the Chinese market? And then those headlines hit. And a lot of its shareholders were not aware that, you know, there was some pressure to sort of hold off on that offering. They rushed through their roadshow, Julia. Um, So as David said, a lot of cross currents here. This is one of the worst hit groups of today's session. Uh, And certainly Didi continues to feel that pressure. Yeah. And meantime, shifting gears over to crypto. Crypto not sitting out this sellout. We have Bitcoin down 8 percent, Ethereum down 11 percent nearly. Kate Rooney has more. Kate? Hey, Julia. Yeah, the crypto sellout today is really similar to what's hitting tech. It's a knee-jerk reaction away from the sum of those higher growth, riskier assets. And all of this, guys, is stemming from that macro news of the COVID variant. And Bitcoin tends to suffer when investors want to reduce relatively higher risk liquid positions and move into some of those safe haven assets. Bitcoin's still seen as that riskier asset. Inflation and safe haven narrative around Bitcoin not really taking off quite yet. The world's largest cryptocurrency dropping near $53,000 this morning. That's the lowest level since October. Bitcoin now off by about 20% from that all-time high of 69,000 it hit earlier in November today, officially hitting bear market territory. It's uh, since January, though, still up about 80 percent. So longer term chart looking good there. Bitcoin is holding up better than some of the other coins today. Ether, Solana, XRP, all in the red today as well. I'm told there's also been a flight from some of these so-called altcoins into Bitcoin. So that could be a positive there. And analysts are pointing to Bitcoin becoming more mainstream. And as a result, there are more algorithms trading crypto. So that can make some of these moves especially sharp. There's also leverage in the markets that can exacerbate some of these moves. And finally, a $2.8 billion options expiration today. That could be fueling some of the volatility as well. Back to you. Uh, Kate, I heard Leslie Picker earlier this morning talk about some Bitcoin discussion at the Thanksgiving dinner table. Uh, Ours wasn't immune from that either, as I believe (laughs) probably many around the country. Uh, Any indication of what's sort of driving the sell-off today? We've talked in the past about whales versus retail investors. Do you think that there's more retail interest coming out of this holiday where families do get around and talk. And is this perhaps driven by larger scale institutional investors? Today? Yeah, that's what we saw. There was some data suggesting that heading into the holiday, there were more short term buyers or those holding Bitcoin for less than a few months. And so the short term buyers have been the ones really driving the activity. There's also some data out there about where they got in. So fifty seven thousand dollars is the average cost basis for a lot of these newer investors. So some of them are underwater at this point. They tend to be less committed or they just haven't proven the commitment to the asset over the long term. But if you bought in at $57,000, they're closely watching the price moves here. And that has been cited as one of the factors in terms of people looking to sell some of the retail moves. And meanwhile, some of the longer term investors have been net sellers in November. So not necessarily getting out entirely, but taking some profits um, or right around that all-time high. Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney on crypto. Uh, as for the markets, well, they are down about 2%, actually 2.3% right now uh, on the uh, S&P and the NASDAQ. We're about two hours into trading. Remember, we close early today as well. So 
only about an hour and a half or so left. Our next guest here on how to evaluate stocks in a sell-off is uh, Mark Mahaney of Evercore ISI. He's the head of Internet Research. Uh, Mark, you know, anything in particular that you like that you see on sale today, so to speak, given there's very little we really know here in terms of the potential impact from this new strain? Well, I'll divide up uh, the stocks I look at, consumer tech, into three areas, the the COVID winners, the recovery plays, and then stocks that I think are kind of long-term structural winners as opposed to the temporary winners from COVID. You know, you're seeing the Netflixes, the Pelotons, uh, the Chewies, the stocks that did really well during the first COVID cycle, uh, hopefully not too many of these, but uh, those are outperforming. And then those that were really recovery stocks, anything that's travel-related or mobility-related, the ride-sharing companies, you know, the, the performances are dramatically different between these, uh, and you would expect that on a day like today. Then that leads to the third basket of stocks. Those are the ones that, you know, I, I think long-term investors should stick with because they're structural winners from the from COVID, and they're good enduring tech assets on their own, and that's Amazon and Facebook. That's how I divide them up today. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about Uber a bit because I know it is one of your top picks. Uh, yeah. I would assume Uber Eats is not enough to offset if there was really a reduction in terms of traffic, so to speak, uh, for Uber itself, if this variant does prove, unfortunately, if that is the case, uh, to be something that causes people to perhaps change their behavior. Yeah, you're right. So, you know, you can look at DoorDash today. So DoorDash is modestly outperforming the market. It's down, but not by as much as the market, because people remember that uh, we had a surge spike and they're probably a structural winner from the COVID crisis, DoorDash. But that's uh, that's you know perhaps half of uh, Uber's business. If you're going to look at one sector within con- kind of consumer Internet that was most impacted by the COVID crisis, has been most impacted, it's still ride sharing. Ride sharing is 40 percent off its pre-COVID levels. Whereas travel is 10 to 20 percent. So really ride sharing is waiting for us all, the, the people to start commuting back to work and for business travel to pick back up. And the more of these COVID stories we get, the longer that 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 day of return is. That day of return is going to be there. At some point, we're beyond this. And so you should be long term investors should be stepping in and uh, on an asset like Uber, where I think the valuation is really compelling. I think the multiple can double from here. I don't know when COVID lets up, but when it does, here's a great recovery play and one that took the advantage of the one of the few advantages of COVID and stripped out a lot of costs and was able to reach positive free cash flow on 40 percent less volume. That's really impressive. So they should tell you there's a lot of profits to come from Uber when the recovery occurs. Mark, we now have the Dow down 2.9 percent off well over a thousand points now. Um, as we look at that move lower, I want to get your thoughts a little bit on Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook. You said it's one of the structural picks that you have, but it does face so many headwinds. I'm wondering what you see Facebook Meta doing this holiday season, especially when it comes to social commerce and using e-commerce as a way to navigate around some of those Apple operating system changes. Yeah, so um, Julie, there's a bunch of issues you just raised there that I think are super important for Meta, or I'm going to keep calling, calling it Facebook for a little while longer. That are going to be really important to Facebook, but uh, social commerce. That you know, we all spiked up in our social media usage, and we spiked up last year in terms of our uh, shopping on social media platforms. So Facebook should be a long-term beneficiary from that. Is Meta is the metaverse a great investing play? Is, is it an investable thesis near term? I don't think so. I think I think it is going to be an investable thesis kind of three to five years out. I don't think it moves um, uh, Facebook stock now, just like Waymo hasn't moved Google stock in years. But you like to see 
large platforms so that kind of option value and that's what meta is it's option value for uh, for facebook shareholders or for meta uh, shareholders i like the stock i think valuation is really compelling there's also those overhangs that you know really well julia related to regulation and these esg concerns i think a lot of that's priced in i think it's trading at a 25 percent discount to google with similar growth profile which tells you that if facebook can address any of these concerns and maybe they won't but if they can there's a lot of multiple expansion you could see out of Facebook. I think it's a very cheap stock if you strip out some of these investments and the cash that they have. I think it actually trades at a discount to the market, and it offers you one of the best growth profiles out there in tech. It just does. Highly profitable, lots of free cash flow, lots of top-line growth. I like Facebook. Uh, Meta. <laughs> Meta. And Mark, you did mention some of the travel stocks earlier, but you cover Expedia, you cover Booking Holdings, also Airbnb. All of these stocks are obviously selling off along with the airlines. Is there an opportunity uh, in any of these plays right now as you look further out? Yeah, there is. Uh, you know, you get these spike in COVID uh, cases and these stocks are going to trade down. You have to know that. And you know that if you're owning these stocks of those three, you know, what booking was starting to break out and, and all of these were actually trading above their pre-COVID levels. The market really priced a lot of optimism in, in it. So as soon as you get these negative COVID news, the stocks go down. Booking in particular gives you great exposure to cross-border travel, international travel. That's the last leg of travel that's going to come back. That's still 50% below pre-COVID levels, and I don't know when that recovers. Uh, and it's certainly not going to recover on a day like today. Airbnb maybe gets you, that was the one that actually showed up as the most defensive, if you will, the online travel companies. It recovered fastest back to its pre-COVID bookings levels because they came up with a lot of easy, you know, uh, drive to um, uh, alternative accommodations, safer uh, places. So mm -hmm. on a COVID day like today, if you want to play travel, I think you play Airbnb. Right. And it is holding up better than some of the other names, but its valuation is also richer than some of the others. Also, Airbnb has actually seen this sort of trend towards longer stays. Do you think that that's even more of a better bet now, given these headlines, especially when you say about return to work, Mark, um, you see companies pushing it back and that enables perhaps their employees to take these longer trips, go towards an Airbnb. Are they better positioned than an Expedia or a booking? I think so. And there's not, unfortunately, there's not enough disclosure from Expedia or Booking to really to answer that conclusively. There is disclosure from Airbnb, and it's about 20% of their bookings that are 28 days or longer. That's not remote work. That's remote living. So, and by the way, the, the economics of that are wonderful. So, with one booking, they get 28 days of uh, of, uh, of revenue. Like that's that's good for Airbnb, and it expands their TAM or total addressable mm -hmm. market. The question is whether that's really going to be the case, you know, three to five years from now. But anything that expands that kind of long stay market, I think, is a benefit for Airbnb, probably for all three. But it's clearest in Airbnb's financials. Right. And, and more broadly, Mark, when we think about return to work plans, we've already seen Apple push back its date. It's not even calling it return to work. It's calling it a hybrid work plan. Do you think that other companies, even those outside of tech, will follow given this morning's headlines or still too early to tell? No, it's probably too early to tell. I'm out here in San Francisco, and uh, most of the tech companies are uh, are uh, doing going remote. Uh, it's hard to go visit any of these companies. I'm zooming with all of them, uh, but um, you know, and I, I don't know whether that's a harbinger for the rest of the country or not. I just know that you know, big tech or you know, Bay Area tech is going remote, and they're gonna they're happy to stay. They're comfortable staying remote for a long period of time, and maybe permanent hybrid. I, I don't know if that's good or bad long term. I, I might I'm a little skeptical about that, but I, that's clearly what what the norm is right now in the Bay Area. 
Mark, yeah, I think uh, one thing we can bet on. Nobody's coming into the office on Friday except maybe us. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> And maybe two to three days a week, if that. It's such an interesting uh, experiment to continue to watch. Mark, thank you. See you, David. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, let's get a news update now. For that, we'll go to Contessa Brewer. Contessa. David, hi. Here's what's happening right now. No word yet from the World Health Organization on the new COVID variant that is behind today's market sell-off. Advisors are meeting to assess the B11529 variant. It's identified in South Africa. Early analysis indicates a large number of mutations that could make it more dangerous. But a WHO spokesperson warns countries not to overreact. Fed funds futures indicate traders are modestly reducing their expectation that the Federal Reserve will start a cycle of rate hikes in May. Trading is thin, though, and it makes it difficult to draw any firm conclusions. Our economics correspondent Steve Leisman notes the Fed's view is that each new wave of COVID infections has had less of an economic impact than the previous one. FDA scientists have concluded Merck's anti-COVID pill helps treat the disease, but they found potential risks for pregnant women. They will be evaluated next week when outside advisors meet to assess the pill's safety and effectiveness. That's a news update right now. Deirdre, I'll send it back to you. Contessa, thanks for that. Turning back to the sell-off, which we haven't really gotten away from. Dow down 1,000 points. Dom Chu has more on what's moving. Dom. Session lows, Deirdre, as you point out right now. We are seeing the Dow down over 1,000 points and certain accelerations to the downside with regard to the technology, media, and telecommunications trade. Uh, We want to highlight for you the mega cap stocks that matter the most, uh, only because these five stocks make up roughly 23, 24 percent of the overall S&P 500. Apple shares, which are, by the way, Apple stock, the most valuable company, again, in the world, topping Microsoft just narrowly, uh, down about two and three quarters percent, a two percent decline for Microsoft. Alphabet, the parent company of Google, down two and a half percent. Amazon, an outperformer here, noting that it's only down about one and a third percent. Some of the online trade e-commerce aspect helping to buoy some of that trade versus some of the other names here. And then Tesla down about two percent as well. And again, these five stocks make up a large part of the overall S&P and the Nasdaq as well. If you take a look at the tech sector overall, the pullback that we are seeing today from the highs that we've seen just recently is still modest. If you take a look at one of the ETFs that tracks that tech trade, the tech spider, ticker XLK, that particular 2.5% move now just puts you roughly 4% below the record highs that we've seen just in the last couple of weeks to put a little of that in perspective right now. Also, if you want to take a look at what's working versus what's not working, 
overall thematically. There has been an interesting move in certain parts of the market that have shown some signs of life versus the others that have not. If you take a look at some of those stocks that are in the news today so far because of the trades that we've seen, look at some of the names that have done pretty well, beneficiaries, if you want to call it that, of the lockdowns that we saw last year during the COVID pandemic. Zoom video, ubiquitous for teleconferencing, now up about 7%. I would note that's off the session highs. DocuSign up 2.5%. Teladoc Health up 5.5%. Etsy did hit a record high earlier in the session. Online e-commerce has now reversed and is down about 1% now. And Peloton, a big underperformer when it, when it comes to connected fitness, those exercise bikes, internet-enabled, up 3.5% right now. But again, reversing just a little bit what's been a severe downtrend versus if you take a look at the other side of the coin, those stocks that have benefited the most during the pandemic recovery, the ones that have seen some real, real upside moves because people are getting better, feeling better about the economy overall. Norwegian Cruise Line, I'm going to use them as a proxy for travel and leisure overall, down 15%. Occidental Petroleum, with regard to oil and gas demand, down 11% right now in some of those fears of a slowdown. Simon Property Group is a massive owner of physical malls and retail real estate. They're down about 6% right now. J.P. Morgan Chase down 4%. Interest rates going lower, not helping that narrative. And then I mentioned Peloton for stay-at-home fitness. Well, Planet Fitness has been a huge beneficiary since the lockdowns have been listed. But Planet Fitness now, you can see, down 7% as people maybe fear a little bit more the notion that you know gyms may still be on that same trajectory, physically speaking. So, Julia, Deirdre, I mean, this is a, an interesting development here with regard to how we are seeing this market play out. Whether or not it gets exacerbated in the next couple of days, we'll see. But today's a very thinly traded day. We'll see if it kind of sticks that way, guys. Back over to you. Yeah, Dom, the fact that we see those classic stay-at-home plays so much in the green today, the rare stocks in the green today, but yet the tech mega caps are all in the red. Yes, Amazon down a little bit less than the others. Is there any sense that some of these tech mega caps could be better positioned um, going forward, considering how much they benefit from this hybrid world and from perhaps another wave of COVID? It's a great point, Julia, that you bring up here, because when it comes to some of the outperformance that we've seen in many ways during some of the, the rougher parts of the pandemic, it was those technology mega cap names that tended to outperform some of the other ones. If you take a look at the way this plays out now, this is very early days with regard to this new South African COVID variant. But one of the things that's been driving that mega cap technology and telecommunications trade, certainly over the course of the last six to 12 months, has been the overall interest rate picture where you have seen market weakness for those mega cap names has been when interest rates have either gone higher or threatened to go higher. That is when you start seeing some of those growth valuations come into real focus and and you kind of punish those mega cap technology names. What's curious about the trade today is we've been showing you that long-term interest rates are actually coming down, are coming down because people are bidding up the safety of Treasury bonds. If those interest rates come down even further, it actually might provide some of a, a buy thesis, if you will, hypothetically, for some of those mega cap growth names. So, Julia, it's, it, it's a great observation. This is a real tug, and, uh, tug of war right now, a push and pull behind some of those pandemic themes versus some of the things that have really been driving that mega cap tech trade, namely interest rates over the course of the last six to nine months, guys. Thank you, Dom. Well, the Dow is down more than 1,000 points. So what is in the green today? As Dom mentioned, it's the work from home plays. Pandemic stocks like Zoom, 
Peloton Okta. For more, let's bring in James Fish, Senior Research Analyst at Piper Sandler. So, James, let's start off with Zoom. This is the classic stay-at-home play. Stock was way up uh, earlier in the pandemic. The stock plummeted on its earnings results, slowing growth. What do you see for, for this particular stock? Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me and uh, happy belated Thanksgiving. Uh, Zoom, you know, it's gone through this kind of roller coaster ride as we've talked about. You know, I think Mark uh, put it well where you have these uh, pandemic plays and then the recovery plays. And as we've talked about kind of a normalization of, of the world, you know, the Zooms of the world have taken a little bit on the chin over the last uh, nine, nine, 11 months or so, really, when you break it down, Julia. And for Zoom, what we have going on is really a question about what's the sustainable growth, especially as we think about that early indication for fiscal 23, which is, you know, there at January end. So calendar 22 is, is what I'm talking about there. And what it gets down to is how is that churn of the SMB business, that, that business that was starting to see elevated churn over the summer time frame as they were trying to buy 5.9, and really what ended up happening is we got a little bit of stability this past quarter. And it's a question of how much stability is there, especially with all these different variants. Do we just have this new normal where Zoom now is part of that innate uh, environment for any enterprise out there that you really just need to have Zoom no matter what? And let's face it, Zoom meetings takes away pretty much the cost of an airplane ticket at this point in, in today's society. So just one trip. And so it's definitely worth it for a guy like me who's typically on the road a lot more than, than we currently are. Um, and I think you're seeing that really show up in results. And, and really from here, it's about kind of acts two, three, four, whether it's uh, phone, rooms, events, webinar, or even the contact center stuff that they're trying to do now. So with that in mind, we now have Zoom up uh, 7.5%, though, off its highs earlier today. What are some of the other plays that you would say, some of these other stocks you say might be on sale on this Black Friday? Yeah, so names that we've been really uh, bullish on is actually 5.9. Um, it's one of our favorite plays uh, as you think about the communication software stack and this evolution of customer engagement in the space. And really for 5.9, it's not just that it's a takeout candidate, given what happened with, with Zoom uh, over the summer, but really that transformation of the contact center where it's omni-channel, it's AI, it's so much more than just kind of call routing that we thought of as, as old in this transition towards cloud-based uh, systems there that are really driving that work from anywhere agent. And, and really 5.9 has a great mousetrap for being able to engage in this new digital world. Hey, James, good morning. It's Deirdre. I'm not sure if you heard our earlier conversation with Mark Mahaney, but he was a little skeptical that companies outside of the Bay Area will really embrace work from home for a long time into the future. But these timelines, return to work timelines, they keep getting pushed out into the future. And it feels like the threshold to do so has been lowered. So what do you think? Do new variants, not just this one, there's still so much unknown, but the idea of new variants make it more likely that we live in this hybrid corporate world for longer? I mean, let's, let's face it, Deidre, we, we were talking about, you know, when do we return to the office uh, in the middle of 2020? And that got pushed into, OK, we'll wait for 21. And then now it's a question of at what point in 2022 do we get back? And really what we're hearing from, you know, our the investment community themselves is, you know, two, three days a week and and so forth. So I, I don't think you have a complete return to 
the office at this point five days a week, I think we've all established that productivity is actually holding up nicely when you look at the uh, average worker across different verticals. And so you end up with kind of a case-by-case scenario, but overall, we're, we're still hearing that two to three days a week at some point. But each of these variants are going to kind of push out the time frame for when we get back to travel, when we get back to in-office work. And let's face it, the Zooms of the world have shown that productivity can be actually slightly better in a hybrid work environment. Yeah, although uh, plenty of senior managers, uh, James, are trying to assess other metrics that may be harder to compile. You know, lack of innovation, lack of cultural attachment that you don't get from Zoom. But I have a question on the stock itself. Um, I mean, this could end up being a one-day phenomenon, right? Uh, you know, uh, the last earnings report, their, their growth, is deceler- growth is decelerating at, a, I think, a faster rate than they've seen. You mentioned 5.9. They were unable, obviously, to do what many thought was an important acquisition for them, in part because of the performance of their own stock. Um, nobody questions growth for this company, but at what multiple, I think, is the key question. So what do you sort of assign as appropriate multiple? Yeah, David, it's an interesting take there. Uh, what you brought up with innovation as, as well, uh, not lost on us there either. Uh, in terms of answering your question directly, you know, this is a name that now we're starting to talk about as a free cash flow multiple, where when you look at what I'll call their cloud big brothers and Salesforce, ServiceNow, Workday, where they went through big periods of growth and have matured into more free cash flow style multiples. You know, Zoom, you're still looking at 30 to 35 times free cash flow for next year. Whereas during the pandemic, David, we were talking about this as a 30 to 40 times revenue story. And it's a question of also how much of the free cash flow is coming from that SMB business and how stable is that? And if that's stable, then at this free cash flow level, it's actually a very compelling story. And we can actually use that as sort of a, a good base to work off of uh, from there. So our 299 get uh, price target gets you to roughly uh, 35, 36 times free cash flow, I believe, uh, in the uh, out year. So overall valuation is actually starting to become compelling at these levels and kind of post that quarter, we did have, you know, obviously a down of about 20% day. And, and so we thought that that was actually a good entry point for those that have been kind of sitting on the sidelines. And let's face it, when we looked at this point last year, we started talking about the Delta variant in, in India in late December or so. And really the stock didn't had a little bit of a reaction off of that, but not too much. The story is much more than just, you know, different variants uh, for the, the pandemic. It's now evolving into a multi-product story across phone rooms and so forth. Yeah, well, fascinating time for those stay-at-home stocks, the rare stocks in the green today. James, thanks so much. Thank you. And you've heard, you've heard a lot about the broken supply chain already, but will that supply chain hold up for the holidays? Our Frank Holland crunches those numbers. Frank? Yeah, happy holidays, Julia. Surveys show that 75% of shoppers, they're worried that what they want to buy this holiday season will be sold out. I know I was. That's why I grabbed this PlayStation controller as soon as we walked in the door. We're at a Best Buy right outside of Philadelphia, where we have seen a really steady stream of in-store shopping. This holiday season, online shopping on Black Friday's is forecasted increase by 16%. In-store shopping by as much as 50%. That means Retailers are doing everything they can to keep products on the shelves and meet that holiday demand. Major retailers, including Best Buy, Walmart and Target, they've increased their inventory this holiday season year over year. 
compared to last holiday season. And according to our CNBC data, they're also selling the goods faster than they did last holiday season as they continue to meet that holiday demand this year. <clears throat> Best Buy says there is good inventory of computers if you're shopping for those, but if you're looking for other popular consumer goods, the time to buy is now. We expect to have shipments all the way through holiday and will, uh, and we know that we will we'll continue to replenish. Gaming consoles, obviously there are shortages. Phones, there's some shortages. Bluetooth speakers is another example. of. And according to Salesforce, the first three weeks of November saw a 10% increase in early holiday shopping, really boosted by the return of in-store shopping. You're seeing a lot of people here behind us, but we spoke to a lot of people here in the store. They said that they've heard that news about the COVID variant, and if those reports continue or they start to feel concerned about their safety, they're gonna do the rest of their shopping online. Back over to you. Fair enough, we're still pretty, pretty early into this thing. Uh, Frank, thank you so much. By now, pay later is taking over this holiday season. Young shoppers are moving away from interest and rewards-based credit cards. Alternative payment platform Sezzle has partnered with retailers like Target and GameStop to give its nearly 3 million customers more flexibility. Joining us now, Sezzle's co-founder and CEO, Charlie Uakim. Charlie, thanks for being with us this morning. Now, we are seeing amid the sell-off, a firm, another by now pay later name, really outperform. What do you think is driving that? I mean, yes, it is Good Friday, but, you know, these sort of payments or fintech names have outperformed throughout the pandemic. Uh, do you think that sort of there's a, a bull case here if we do see this continue, see another variant rise? I, I definitely think that's the case. Uh, you know, we saw that happen the last time COVID came around, the first time it came around, and that push to e-com is likely to continue with COVID back. Right, but explain then how buy now, pay later actually takes advantage of that or is a beneficiary of that versus a credit card. Yeah, so we generally focus in the e-com space. That's where we, we do the most of our work. Uh, we are present on over 44,000 merchant websites. That's Sezzle in particular, but the, the industry in general is typically focused on e-commerce. And so as that push back into e-com occurs, we, we generally benefit from that. So, Charlie, talk to us about this space broadly and all the competition in this space. I mean, you have Amazon partnered with a firm. You have PayPal getting rid of its buy now, pay later fees. How do you compete in a space with not just so many competitors, but so many deep pocketed competitors? It's really focusing on your stakeholders, focusing on the merchants, focusing on the consumers, doing the right thing by both of them. We really stand on the high road for the consumer. We are the only player in the space that focuses on credit building which is totally unique. We love it, our consumers love it, our merchant partners love it. And, and I think really just by focusing on their needs, these consumers' needs, and, and doing right by them and right by the merchants, you have a chance to do a really strong job within the sector. But so what is your growth opportunity? Is it more partnering with more small businesses? Is it doing more partnerships like the one you did with Target? I mean, how are you going to be able to carve out space here when you're up against the Amazon of firms and PayPal's of the world? Well, with SMB, we've been growing like wildfire. It just continues for us. So that's why, that's why we have that big count of merchants. So we, we expect that to continue. We're doing a great job there. The, the, the merchants love us. It's viral in that space. For us now, the push is into enterprise and, and Target, Bass Pro Shops, those are two great examples of that for us. And the reason we're doing that is because our consumer wants to shop with us everywhere. So we have to be everywhere. That means we have to be with SMB. We've got to be with mid-market. We've got to be with enterprise. And so that, that'll be the push for Sezzle is to continue to push in those spaces. And if you look at the enterprise players in those spaces, 
What they want is they want a brand that they can believe in. And that's where you have Sezzle and our halo around doing right by the consumer, helping them build their credit score up, being a partnerships player. And I think that really sets us apart. Hey, Charlie, as uh, uh, buy now, pay later has become uh, more available, I guess, what have you seen in terms of the overall average order value of a customer? Has it been going up? And if so, how much and how much do you expect it to go up from here? It's been relatively stable. So we're around $100 per order. The only reason it's been tracking a bit up for us is we've been expanding our services. So we started with a, a pure pay in for over six weeks, interest free. And so that, that's where we tracked right on $100. But as we add long-term into the mix, we've been starting to track upwards because the order values on a 12-month order or a 12-month installment plan, those, those tend to track towards $1,000. So I, I, we feel it's probably going to stay stable. It's just going to be a mix shift that creates any change for Sezzle. Charlie, last time we had uh, Max Levchin, CEO of Affirma, and he said that credit cards are, frankly, power tools with no safety on. You can get yourself into real trouble. Do you agree with that statement? And do you think that a younger generation of shoppers feels the same way? And that's sort of one of the major driving forces behind buy now, pay later. I think it's spot on. You know, what we see from our consumers is they love our product because it represents purchasing power, but also budgeting for them. They feel safe with it, just like they do with the debit card. So we're building out there, or we're, we're driving a new wedge into payments between credit and debit. I call it the creditization of a debit card. And so I, I think it's here to stay because of that safety element that we give to the consumer. Charlie, thanks for being with us today. Charlie, you again. Thanks for having me. And let's stick with the sell-off. Retail stocks getting hit hard on what's supposed to be one of the biggest days of the year for this sector. Let's bring in our Courtney Reagan again. Courtney, there is expected to be a spike in in-store shopping this year for Black Friday. My question is whether that in-store activity and even online activity is getting impacted by these headlines about the new COVID variant. Yeah, Julie, I think that's a big question that we're all asking today. And so far, it doesn't seem that many of the shoppers that have been spoken to by a number of the surveying data firms, the forecasters, the analysts I've spoken to, really seem to be too worried. They're not letting it curtail their plans to shop either in-store or online. What I do find interesting is that Adobe did just give us a snapshot of the full online shopping day for Thanksgiving Day yesterday when many of those retailers were again closed. So your primary mode of shopping was online. And that number was actually a little bit lower than Adobe had originally forecast. And so I'm wondering, is that because more shoppers did intend to go in-store today as originally forecast and were sort of saving that spending Or is there something else going on here? We also know how much early shopping has been done. When you look at pictures from malls around the country, it's a little hard to tell about the foot traffic right now. Many are saying it is definitely higher than 2020, but not quite at 2019 levels. So will it hit those expectations of 108 million shoppers, 64% of them in store today? I think we're going to have to wait to see. Well, Courtney, there's so many factors at play here. You had people shopping early because of supply chain concerns. You had this gradual shift to online shopping. Anyways, now there was this hope that people are going to be moving back into stores. Is there a sense, though, that paying attention to these headlines could add uncertainty either to the amount that people are willing to spend overall or just could really impact that return to the physical stores? Yes, certainly. I think that that is certainly an an issue, right? That's why you're seeing a lot of these stocks really sell off today. I think Wall Street is less confident that retail can withstand another big breakout if that means shoppers decide to sort of 
retreat back home if they decide to change their spending habits all over again because of some of this resurgence that we've seen in the third quarter and that we're counting on for this holiday season. Many expectations are saying, look, holiday sales could be up 8 10% this year. I mean, that's a, a record season. And while consumer sentiment has sort of been mixed recently, and we know inflation is also an issue, stockouts, availability of product is an issue. In general, consumers are feeling pretty strong. Wages are higher. Incentives to get a new job are higher. And people want to get back to normal with sort of their lives, their traditions around the holiday and spending things that maybe they missed out on last year. So if all of that is thought to be in jeopardy, that's probably part of the reason we're seeing this big retail sell-off today. And, you know, we don't normally see retail stocks really move that much on Black Friday typically. So this is unusual for today as far as the stock moves are concerned in particular. Courtney, thank you. Thanks, David. Courtney Reagan back at our uh, HQ. All right, let's get more now on that new South African COVID variant. It is, of course, triggering this market sell-off. With us now is the Dean of Brown University's School of Public Health, Dr. Ashish Jha. Dr. Jha, good to have you. There really is a paucity of information, it would seem right now, to judge exactly what the threat is from this variant. But how do you see it, and what would you be waiting for to make a perhaps more informed decision into the threat that this poses? Yeah, so good morning. Thanks for having me back. Um, look, there is a positive information. Uh, every month we hear about a new variant, and most of them can be ignored. This one cannot be ignored. And the reason is it does really look like it's taking off in a, in a way that makes me concerned that it's much more contagious. We don't know for sure. And the big concern is how much immune evasion does it have? How much does it impact the effectiveness of the vaccines? So we're going to get good laboratory data and good clinical data on those questions. I expect in the next sort of few days to at the most next few weeks. Uh, so we'll know a lot more and we just got to hold right now and see what the data tell us. Right. And what is the main thing that, that triggers your concern? Is it the number of mutations? Is it the very small amount of information we have, though, that indicates a quick spike in cases? Yeah, number of mutations doesn't bother me. Um, where the mutations are is concerning. We have some experience uh, with mutations in those areas, and you can see some more immune evasion. The other part is how quickly it has taken off in South Africa and elsewhere. Uh, that, in the context of a country and the world that's really got Delta already, we haven't seen another out, a variant outcompete Delta this effectively, and that concerns me. So more coming, but those are the signals that I'm paying attention to. Dr. Jat Stierja, talk a bit about the risk of this kind of punishing effect for countries that come out early and identify variants. They're met with travel bans, so perhaps creating less incentive for governments to act early. What does that mean for the trajectory of the virus and future variants? Yeah, so I think one of the things we should all be very grateful for this morning is that the scientists in South Africa identified this variant and were very public and transparent about it. I have no idea if it started in South Africa. We really don't. But South Africa does a great job sequencing viruses, and that's why they identified it. If we start punishing countries that do a good job identifying variants and making it public, the incentives are going to go in all the wrong directions. So we should be thoughtful about our next steps uh, and not punish countries that are open and transparent about these things. Well, so what do you think the next steps should be other than accelerating the rollout of vaccines and boosters? If it's not about blocking travel, what should it be right now? 
Yeah, look, it, travel restrictions, let's talk openly about travel restrictions because it gets way too politicized. Here's what we know. Travel restrictions slow down the spread of the virus uh, by a couple of weeks. So if we do a travel ban on South Africa and other countries that have it identified, it may delay the arrival of that virus in our country by a week or two. The virus may already be here, the variant. We don't know. Um, but it's not a long-term solution. It doesn't, because we're a global world, right? And, and the virus will find its way into our country. So right now, what we need to be doing is the clinical data to figure out what the, you know, how big a deal is it. We should be talking to the, the companies that uh, build vaccines, Moderna, Pfizer, J&J, about will we need to build new vaccines? I, I don't think we will, but those conversations start now. We should ramp up testing and looking for this variant in America. So if it's here, we can identify it early. There's a lot we can be doing to get ready for this variant, which almost surely, no matter what we do, will arrive in the United States. Yeah, certainly. And I, and I know there's a lot of anxiety uh, about what this question of whether or not people get more sick or less sick, um, which we don't know yet. But talk to us about the therapeutics. There had been so much optimism about the efficacy of these therapeutics. How do you see them working uh, against this new variant? Yeah, it's a really good question. So there, in my mind, there are two types of therapeutics. There are the monoclonal antibodies, uh, and then there are the oral pills from uh, Merck and Pfizer. Um, I am worried about the monoclonal antibodies, how well they're going to work against this variant. There is some, again, laboratory data that they more, may work less well. Uh, we can redesign the monoclonal antibodies, but obviously that takes a little bit of time. Uh, I have no reasons to think that the oral pills, both from Merck and Pfizer, will work any less effectively. I think it should work quite well against this, this uh, new variant. But those are, of course, not authorized in the U.S., and we've got to get ramp up production, and we've got to get those pills out uh, into the marketplace as quickly as possible. Yeah, I mean, Merck will have 10 million uh, courses available upon, if they get approval, obviously. Uh, the panel's meeting next week, Dr. Jha. Do you see them, uh, the oral antivirals, assuming they do get approved as sort of a turning point in terms of dealing with whatever variant is coming our way? Yeah, I do. I think they're going to make an enormous difference. There are two sets of issues with that, right? One is we've got to produce enough of these pills. They're actually 10 million from Merck is good. The Merck data does not look as good as the Pfizer data. That's the pill that I think is going to have a bigger impact, and we just don't know about production of Pfizer. That's one issue. The second is for these pills to work, you got to take them really early in the disease course, and that means that you've got to get testing widely available. you got to get the kind of mechanisms to make sure that people can get tested when they have symptoms and take the pill. If we can do all that, yes, I think it'll make an enormous difference. Dr. Jha, certainly appreciate your uh, insight uh, at, uh, at this juncture, of course, with the markets down sharply on this news, of course, of which we still know uh, not that much. Uh, Dr. Shisha from Brown University. Yeah, and as we get a check on markets, we do see indexes bouncing back from the lows of the session. The Dow, though, still down about 900 points. Julia, the Nasdaq composite is holding up relatively better, down only about 2%. And what's helping are some of those state home names that we've been talking about that are catching a bid in the current market. Yeah, absolutely. We see Netflix up 1.6%, Roku also up about 1.5%, and the video game makers in the green as well. Electronic Arts up 1%. And don't forget those vaccine makers, those stocks skyrocketing. Moderna shares up over 23%, D. Yeah, and it is a shortened trading day, so some of these moves may be exasperated by sort of smaller volumes today. It is a holiday weekend, though, and that will do it for Tech Check. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.